Amber Brown, podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre and has a number of spin off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, learning development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand. This is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Welcome to our special guest interview today. And I'm thrilled to have back for the second time Joe Woodard of Scaling New Heights and so many other things. Joe, hello to you. Hello, Rob. It's always great to be here. Joe, last time we had an excellent episode which was very well listened to on future-proofing your accounting practice, making it disruption-proof. Just for people that haven't checked that one out, we'll put the link in the show notes. Can you just summarize that for us in 60 seconds or so, where we got to with that one? Yeah, what we said is that the the practice that is disruption-proof has embraced the technology, absolutely, um, that it, but but ultimately it uses the technology and its automation of record-keeping and compliance as a means to a greater end. And that greater end is to be a coach of small businesses um, or even individuals, if you want to coach them on their, on their tax strategies. But when we become more analytical and we become more interpretive, then we become more disruption proof because the factors that are disrupting us like scaled competitors and technology aren't doing those things. That positions us for a unique and warm spot for the future. And you went so far as to pull apart the word advisory and trusted advisors. We had to play with that, didn't we? And you substituted business coaching for advisory. How is that going to help the accountant CPA? I think it's going to it's going to clear up the muddiness that comes with that term. Um, I like something you said in the last episode. If you ask 10 CPAs what advisory means, you're going to get 12 answers. That was brilliant because because it's, it's unclear. Uh, what it means. And then you throw that word trusted in front of it, it becomes even more unclear because they assume trustworthy and trusted are the same mm. thing. And clients don't ask for advisory. They don't know what it is themselves, do they? No one's they don't. Out they, right. So, so it's a product that we have to even explain to them that they need. Whereas every small business owner understands, or it's easier to help them to understand that, that they need a coach. And the way I phrase it with the folks, because we have a school of coaching over here, is I say, if you want to connect the dots quickly, and you think even coach is not something that they're going to accept, just tell them that you would like to come alongside them to protect their journey. That that wording always works. But we need to make sure there's substance underneath that, that we're truly protecting the journey. And that means interpret, interpretation and analysis. Can all accountants be coaches, Joe? Um, 
all accounting firms should be coaches. Okay. And then you should, then the accounting firms can take a multi-pronged strategy of some will compile the necessary information because if you don't have it, you have nothing to interpret and analyze. <laughs> some will prepare the analysis and the interpretive layers. And then the coach will go into the field with the work. That way, if, if look, if you love record keeping, you love the compliance piece, that's why you got in the profession, you can still th be part of a thriving practice. <laughs> but just like a golf swing, you can't stop right after you hit the ball. There's something weird about the physics of golf. It's almost like the, the ball turns around after it's left you know, the club to, <laughs> to see what you did with the club so it can know what to do. Because at that point, it should be over, right? The ball has no relationship to the club. Yeah. My point is, anybody that's played golf or anybody that's played any sport that has a, a, a bat or anything, they know that the follow-through is more important or as important as the initial swing. And what we're doing is we're swinging, we're stopping right after the ball hits. We're stopping where it matters most. We've got to follow through as a profession. We've got to add that interpretive layer. At least some group in the firm needs to be doing that work. Yeah. And when we spoke about disruptors in the accounting profession, you honed in on the staffing problem, the talent shortage, and tipped onto the, the boomer black hole as they're retiring, moving on. And the something going on with the profession not being as attractive to new grads, the, the Gen Zs as it used to. And, and this speaks to culture, doesn't it? Something you're very passionate about. Yeah, I am very passionate about culture. And I just want to give credit where credit's due. Almost everything I've learned about company culture, I learned from the collective works of Patrick Lencioni. He's my hero. Um, and I would encourage everybody in this, uh, listening to this podcast to read his entire collective work, starting with a book called The Advantage. And then start, uh, wherever you go from there, your journey will take you. Um, he is the master of culture, regardless of the business type. And what what I think one of the key pieces of culture that he, he taught me um, is about values. But before we talk values, I learned something not from Patrick Lencioni that's at the headwaters of this thing. I learned it from Disney Institute. Right. Um, I went to a, a Disney Institute course on branding thinking, hey, I need to, this was way back before we were called Woodard, before we were trademarked, before there was a, a pretty website. I thought, well, who better to help me brand my company than Disney? They've got a decent brand, I think. A pretty decent brand. People know of them, yes. And so, so when, I, when I was sitting there in Walt Disney World in Florida at, at one of their hotels listening to their experts on brand, they, they never mentioned logos and they never mentioned websites. And, they, they, and I was thinking, well, this is really strange. All these people will talk about for about four days is vision, mission, and purpose. It was a vision, mission, purpose, four-day workshop where I came out of that four-day workshop mentally exhausted because they, they, they made me go through the, the, the mental exercises and jump through the mental hoops to figure out what the company's vision, mission, and purpose is. I didn't even know that those were necessarily uh, different words. I thought they were to some degree synonymous, but they're, they're very different. So from that, I understood that my vision is why I do what I do. My purpose is what I do every day. It's like a daily gr uh, grind kind of a compass point. And then the mission is how I do what I do. Well, it's still matured over a period of a couple more years. And Joe, I can imagine, sorry, jump in. I can imagine how difficult that was as a rigorous exercise for you because Woodard is the name on the front of the building. That's the brand. And you are so close to what you do. It must be really difficult to be impartial and objective about your brand. Well, you know, let me tell you, since you brought that up, that's a really funny story. So I went there just just set. And I would never name the company after myself uh, because it, I'd had so many people tell me that that's limiting to the thing. They would go to sell it and all these other things. So about f 
over the course of the four days, you know, we did, of course, talk about what you call your company and we had to land certain balloons. So I'm, I'm standing in front of a lot of, uh, of Disney's finest business experts <laughs> at this elite workshop. And I'm saying, I, I refuse to name my company after myself. And they said, well, why? And so, well, some people might take it as egotistical, but more importantly than that, because I don't think that's really the biggest issue. I, if I name my company after my last name, my company will never be bigger than I am as an individual. I said this to them and they sitting inside of Walt Disney World at the Disney Contemporary Resort at the company called Disney. And I just, they just kind of waited for a minute for me to, to for me to, to see the obvious, right? And it was almost like a smirk started to form on their face. <laughs> and so obviously, yes, your, your brand can transcend your name. Obviously it can, thus Disney. So what, what they were trying to tell me is it's not a name. It happens to be the most recognizable word in your organization. And now you get to use it as a blank canvas to tell your story. And, and this is what I want your listeners to hear, because this is the, the first domino that must fall on culture, is your company must have a story. The story must transcend the name of the firm, which is perfectly fine for that firm to be named after you. Most accounting firms are, you and your partner. But it must transcend the name of your firm and... It must be based off the threefold questions of why do I do what I do? What is the driving force of every day? And how do I accomplish that why and that what? So all of that formed into a single sentence for me. We, the what, empower small business advisors. Why? Because we want to transform small business on this planet. How? Through education, coaching, resources, and community. So I can clearly and concisely talk about why we exist, what we do, and how we accomplish it on a regular basis. Now, I thought I would go back and there would be, you can't see if you're not watching this, if you're just listening, I'm holding up my hand with just a little bit of space here between my fingers. I thought there'd be like this much impact from that. And little did I know that inside of me and inside of the culture of my company, inside of my teams, it, it, it was the game changing reality. Because in this great resignation, we've lost no people to the great resignation. We've lost some because they just, you know, they, for, for other reasons, but not, not as of the forces of COVID, not of the forces of the great resignation. My team has remained intact. It's because my team has adopted that same vision, mission, and purpose. They don't, they want to see it come to fruition. And I think purpose, Rob, is the key word. The people who work for Woodard feel every day when they come to work, like they have a purpose. And it's not just that they, they feel that because they actually do. They know that every day that they work, they're empowering small business advisors, and they know that that serves the greater purpose of helping small business owners. And they also know, Rob, that small business owners are led often, small businesses are led often by families, they're family-run businesses. So you're transforming marriages, you're transforming families, you're transforming the employees' marriages, the employees' families. That'll get you out of bed in the morning, right? And that's the that's the first prong of, of culture. And when we speak about brand, we've done a, a few episodes on employer brand in the talent shortage that you've spoken into. When we look at employer brand and corporate brand, we see a problem with the traditional accounting CPA firm website and that it's positioning itself to attract new clients. So it needs to tell certain messages there to win new business. And it also needs to attract new staff. So it needs to position itself in a slightly different way. So can you talk into that employer brand, corporate brand a little bit uh, with culture in mind? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Recruitment is a two-pronged strategy. And our website needs to be focused on recruiting expertise, not as much as recruiting clients, but definitely as a very strong force. And the two, I like what you said about the two do work in concert. Because if you're telling a powerful brand story to the customer, 
the right people will be attracted to that as team members. But if, if your website is all about you, why we are the most prestigious firm, why we have the most experience, and please don't lead out with that we're been in the, in the thing for 50 years, right? That's great. That's great. You've just ruined a whole load of websites for accounting firms. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But but the problem is that, you know, when somebody sees, hey, we've been at this for 50 years, you're telegraphing a message, maybe that's not even true of your practice, which is we operate like a firm of the 20th century. So, so yes, be proud of your longevity. Don't hide it, but don't lead with it. What you need to lead with is what impact do you have on small businesses? And when, especially this, these younger generations, when they see this, they will, they will see purpose. They will understand that if they're part of your practice, then they're going to make a difference. All of those things are critical, even more important than money to most of the Gen X and the Gen Z and the millennials. Um, they want to make a difference. And, and, that's, and that'll cause you both to, to recruit more effectively and retain more effectively. And Rob, one more comment on this. If you really want to see the examples of this beyond accountancy, all the way down to the minimum wage jobs, um, during this staffing crisis, it was extremely hard, especially for the fast food restaurants to find workers. But Chick-fil-A here in the United States is a chain, it's a chicken sandwich chain. They never had a problem finding workers because they have a very powerful culture, an empowering culture. And you feel whenever you're working at Chick-fil-A like you're making a difference, even though you're just handing somebody fries. They give back to their local communities, sporting programs. Boy, I don't know if it's the actual Boys and Girls Clubs, but they, a lot of nonprofits that work with children. And, and when you feel like you're part of that larger altruistic energy, <laughs> you go to work for Chick-fil-A. Right. I love that. And then you're content around culture, Joe, you talk a lot about market receptivity to your practice. And I'm thinking of a, a traditional accounting firm website looks the same as almost every other website with the same shades of blue or whatever it is, the same messages, the same values, the same promises. So how difficult is it for an accounting firm to look, sound, feel in any way different to the company? Well, you, you need to get a website expert for sure. You don't want to try to do this by yourself and they will guide you through it. But I could give you a couple of um, suggestions to the listeners. One, if you, if you have unique and differentiating qualities of any kind, lead with those. Uh, start, specialization is one. If you really understand, like, for example, here at Water Consulting Group, which is another division, we have our accountant coaching program, then we have a consulting firm. Our consulting firm works only with wholesalers, distributors, and, and like manufacturers. People, with, they're moving product around in a warehouse. That's what we do. So we would naturally lead out with that rather than just saying we are consultants and then sort of burying that lead. If you don't have an industry specialization, you can lead out with, with confidence. Um, then I would say lead out with anything else that creates distinction for your business. Hopefully, you do have coaching services. So if, if I land on your website and I see that you don't just record keep for me, you don't just manage compliance for me, which is very utility in the mindset of the buyer. If instead you lead out with, we do those things to the greater end of coaching you. Language like protecting your journey, language like transforming your business language like yes maybe trusted advisor if you think that that works for your market segment again most people don't know what an advisor is anything that would make it about them and most importantly rob anything that would make it about how you're going to increase their wealth to flip the script from why you should choose me 
over my competitor for something you really don't want to buy anyway to how I'm going to make you money. You flip that script and people will come. I'm thinking that must be so much easier for the young firms, the new firms. They're agile. They've almost got a blank piece of paper. But you and I both know that a lot of firms, they have a strong heritage. They have a, a, a very long backstory. They've got a name on the front of the building that's been there for thousands of years. And it's been ever there. So we're talking about a rebrand, a rethink here, aren't they? And we to differentiate themselves. How do they even start with that, Joe? Yeah, well, you can get a branding expert uh, who will help you with that change. And uh, they're, they're great companies everywhere. Just But some are not so great as well, because someone spent three months and charged you hundreds of thousands of dollars to change your logo and change the colors. <laughs> Absolutely have to be discerning. But, but I would say watch the journey of a company called Aprio. Aprio is one of the, the top uh, 30 largest firms in the world. And their, their exact journey is what you described, Rob. They were, they were called Habith, Erengeti, and Wynn. Why? Because they were founded by three CPAs <laughs> called Habith, Erengeti, and Wynn. And then they thought, well, we'll just call ourselves H-A and W. Um, that was their first attempt at it. Mm, flat. So they finally just went to the blank canvas. Now you're talking about a firm that's been in Atlanta for decades. Um, and they said, well, let's completely drop the founder's names and let's go with a brand new blank canvas word called Aprio. But did they, did they even get pushed back at that point saying, well, that's sacrosanct. We can't change that. Oh, I'm sure that internally there was a massive political war. I'm sure there was. But somehow they pushed through those politics and that was the best move they could ever make. Um, people now don't even remember. If you say Habit there and Getty and Win, it's only the long-termers that even remember who that is all... All but the talk, and I was just at the BDO Alliance in Vegas. The talk of BDO Alliance was how powerful a powerhouse that Aprio has become um, with with modernization, standardization of process, um, and coaching services. So it, even if you're a firm that's been around for for a hundred years, you can wipe the canvas clean and paint a brand new painting. You can. That's encouraging for firms listening that know that. To stay competitive, they need a rethink. Even with their business model, the whole hierarchical structure of managing partners and equity and senior partners, uh, would you speak into that as well when you talk about culture, Joe? Yes. We have a problem from a staffing side. We, we've inherited an old school way of thinking that uh, that's that's almost cast in its in its format, and it and it's a it's a very long and arduous ladder that you must climb, and and the ladder historically has only been accessible to the people that have the designation. So we all know how the system works, right? I go through the four years of college or whatever it is in, in the UK. I then sit for the CPA exam. I pass the CPA exam. And then I start the arduous 20-year climb to become a partner. And then whenever I, I get to that place, I play politics for another 10 years or it's so. It's so attractive. There's no wonder millions of people are coming into the profession. <laughs> That's exhausting, right? And of course, we know what happens. They get about four or five steps up the ladder. They either that was always their plan, or they get exhausted with that that climb and they jump off, they hang their own shingle, they do their own thing, then starts a whole other arduous journey of business ownership and all the dangers that come with that. So instead, what we need to do, Rob, is we need to change that part of culture from the arduous ladder climb to one that rewards based off of effectiveness measurements from the very first rung of the ladder, regardless of credentials. If you've got somebody that you can plop into your CPA firm who has a transformative technological impact or a transformative interpretive impact on a client from the CAS department, client accounting services department, then fine, reward them 
Reward them not just with money, but reward them with the ability to move up within the CAS department to greater and greater degrees of authority. I mean, why, why does your director of client accounting services have to be a, a chartered accountant or a CPA? Of course <laughs> they don't, right? But you know who also doesn't have to be a chartered accountant or a CPA? The managing partner, right? Um, or just a CEO. Doesn't even have to be a partner at all. Some of the best run firms bring in a CEO to run the organization so the partners can run the books of business. It's a beautiful formula. If we'll unlearn what we've learned, the credentials are so important. Of course, they're important. You can't have a hospital without doctors. You can't have a CPA firm without uh, CPAs. But 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 maybe the best person to run the firm is not, uh, maybe the best person to run a hospital is not a doctor, right? That That's actually true. Maybe the best person to run your accounting firm is not a CPA. And maybe the people that have the most transformative frontline impact on your clients might not be CPAs either, might not be. And so if we'll drop the totem pole, the caste system will reward and honor people, not just financial, but with respect and empowerment, regardless of their credentials, based solely off of what kind of performance do you have, where that performance is measured not just off my book of business productions, but off of the effectiveness that I have on the client, we will transform that whole staffing culture. And we'll start to attract some of these people that want to be at our firm because they're purpose-driven more than because they are prestige or status driven. Yeah, Roger that. And your analogy hits home to me as a former high school math teacher. The transcendence to the top of the tree, the head teacher, if you like, they've got to be teachers. But the irony is that the further up you go in education, the further away you get from the children. So we're seeing a model right now where my daughter's school, I have two daughters, they're both in school and they their school is not run by a teacher at all. It is run by a businessman that came in to handle a budget of five, six million pounds and a staff of 100, 150 people. And he knows very little about education, but he knows about running a successful organization and he's doing a good job. There you go. So I'm gonna ask you a question that you've never been asked before. I'm gonna hire you, Joe, to make you the worldwide czar of accounting. You are the emperor, you are the overlord. You are in charge of the accountancy profession globally. And I'm gonna hire on Monday, but this is your interview question. What would be your mandate? What would you go about changing? Because you've already spoken about how unattractive accountancy is becoming to the young Gen Zs and other people coming through. So what would be one or two of your things on your list? What would be your manifesto, if you like? Yes. Okay. So, um, and this kind of brings me back around to the the, the initial question you asked of the pillars of culture, because I would become the czar of culture and I would, and that would be the, the, the first thing that I would do um, in my newfound authority as, as accounting czar. Because you talked about how firms dictate culture, the individual is an accounting practice, but we're talking about the profession as a oh, whole. The profession right? as a whole. And I would say that I, I would start working immediately on our brand perception. I would change in the mind as fast as I could in the collective mind of the human race, what it means to be an accountant. I would take us from being the brunt of jokes uh, because of everything from our very serious professional demeanor some borderlining stodgy, uh, uh, all the way through to the nature, maybe most importantly, the nature of the work that we do, to where when you hear chartered accountant, when you hear CPA, you think this is a person who advances my business, who is indispensable to my success. They are the Merlin to my King Arthur, speaking like the business owner now, and I must have them by my side, and I must have their magic. 
by my side. Um, I would make it where when you hear the word accountant, you think analytics, you think interpretive, you think actionable management advice. I was just at a, a wedding over the, the weekend and there was a, a young kid there that I've known since he was a small child and you know how they grow up overnight. You see him at weddings. And um, so he just graduated from college. We're making small talk. What do you do? He said, well, um, I've gone into finance. And um, and I said, well, that's that's great because I'm I'm like a cousin profession to you. Um, I, I, I coach and train accountants. And He's a kid, all right, and he didn't mean it as 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 harsh as it sounded. But he goes, "Yeah, I I looked at accounting, but I would much rather uh, shape the future than record the past." And the funny thing is, um, he's not wrong for what is now. But if I had this position that you're interviewing me for, Rob, I would make it where no kid would ever say such things again. So my reply to him was, I couldn't agree with you more. And accountants are realizing that. So what I'm finding is that accountants are interpreters, increasingly interpreters, and they are performing analysis of the present and near horizon future so that you can take over with the long-term predictive analytics from there. And he looked at me like, I have never heard anybody describe the accounting <laughs> profession in that way, right? I want that to be the pervasive brand, not the surprise to some kid fresh out of college. You're hired, Joe, you start on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Name your salary. We spoke in the earlier episode about the blurring of lines between bookkeepers and, and software certified practitioners and CPAs. There is also a blurring of the lines between accountants and CFOs, isn't there? Yes, there is. And and uh, I keep coming back to this medical uh, metaphor because it's so powerful. Uh, the fractional CFOs are the brain surgeons in the hospital. And those that are doing financial interpretation and analysis are the nurse practitioners in the hospital. And even, even if you're a, a CPA, remember a nurse practitioner is a hard fault designation. So I'm not trying to diminish anybody's credentials here. It's about experience. And it's about more, even more importantly than experience, it's about right-sizing the service for the client. Maybe the client at this moment doesn't need surgery. Maybe what they need is a physical therapist, or maybe what they need is a nurse practitioner. What they need is a little bit of medicine. Um, and then let's see if we can, you know, see, see how, at the point where you actually need to lay down on the surgeon's table, we'll get there, or we won't. So if we could play at all levels of the process, Rob, I, I, I think that the, the, the firm that has, and this sort of theme of this thing is culture, the firm with a powerful culture is a firm that empowers everybody along all aspects of the accounting profession. I think that the person that is doing the record keeping, the bank recs and the, the key punch entries, that's curating the automation tech stack and getting those compilations done, that person should be doing some degree of interpretation. They should be doing... Uh, an analysis of the accounts receivable balances. They should be analyzing, they should be predicting cash flow for the next six months. And with the help of software and a little training, they could do that. The next level up is somebody in that CAS department, that client accounting services department, should be providing more holistic financial interpretive layers, taking all the pieces together and creating a 30 to 60 day set of actionable management advice. And then I think that somebody else in the firm, some other division, a coaching division, a consulting division should be looking at long-term strategy in disciplines like operations, technology, um, in, uh, in, in capitalization and operating capital metrics that are more far reaching than cash flow. And if everybody plays their part at every single layer, then everybody has purpose and everybody's making a difference at every single layer. And that's the second pillar of culture. So we've talked about vision, mission, purpose. Now we've talked about enfranchising every single person in the firm into that vision, mission, and purpose. 
And that speaks to employer brand because you're attracting new talent and that they are buying into a story, a narrative, something they can get on board with in that they're making a difference. They are. They're absolutely making a difference. And the more client facing, see if the, if the record keeper can actually deliver some of those things to the client directly, you know, when they're ready for that, it's not just that they're then a, a gear in a larger machine. They're actually get to see the, the, the client's eyes light up when they understand or even just have the peace of mind of knowing, hey, my cash flow is going to be fine to cover my payroll for the next eight weeks. Let me get on to fixing my lawnmowers. What's your best retention tip, Joe? I can see why some of the things you're talking about would attract new recruits into the firm, but what about the people there already? Yeah, um, this gets me to the third pillar. So you have vision, mission, and purpose. How many pillars are there? There's three. Um, so you have vision, mission, yeah, and our purpose. Our accounting audience would be pleased that they've hit all three now. <laughs> They'll be wondering how many left. And Yeah, how many left? So you got vision, mission, and purpose. Then you have enfran uh, en enfranchisement into vision, mission, and purpose at all layers which means an empowering culture. And then you have, and a rewarding culture there. And then you have the values of the company. So it was Patrick Lencioni that taught me that values don't equal ethics or, mor or morals. They may be influenced to some degree by the worldview of the ownership and they should be so that the values have integrity um, and they're genuine, but they're never one-to-one. -one. It's not like you're trying to say, because I, as a founder or as an owner, have this personal worldview, my company must further that personal worldview. That's where people get into trouble, whether it's religion or whether it's politics or even philosophy. Instead, what it is, the values must be harmonious with the vision, mission, and purpose. That's the plumb line. That's the baseline. That's the tie back. Then if they are informed by my worldview as an owner, then they're ingenuous and I'm doing it in a way that's consistent with who I am as a person. So um, and that's going to stop me from playing politics. Actually, one of our company values is that we're apolitical because, because it's not about us taking our values and trying to impose them through the political system onto the world. We've seen, seen some companies fail and step over their bounds in that and hasn't worked well for them, right? You disenfranchise so much of the target market. Instead, what it is, a value equals a behavior. That's what that's how Lencioni defines it. It's a behavioral trait. How does my company behave? And he would break the values down into core values, the DNA of my company's behavior, operational values, those things we consistently do that are in keeping with core, aspirational values, those things we don't consistently do, but we wish that we consistently did in compatibility with our core values. And finally, our accidental values which are those things we do consistently do that are incompatible with our core values. So you fix the accidental, you work on the aspirational, you curate the operational, and it all ties back to the core. Now, obviously, I can't do justice to the entire book called The Advantage in a single answer to a single question, but I would strongly encourage your listeners to read The Advantage and see what Patrick Lencioni has to say about those values and how to nurture those in your business. So some of the values that we have here that are at Woodard that are core is we are transparent. That's one of our core values. And then it manifests itself in, um, in the fact that we are authentic to our market. Um, an another core value is that we are apolitical. And, even, and, and that's a reflection of me as a person because I'm not apolitical as a person, but I am definitely very central as a person. If you asked me a question that was political, I wouldn't answer it in a podcast first, but you would never be able to figure out which political party in the U.S. I adhere to because I'm all over the map. I cut right through all the lines and I'm thinking in, in this messy middle is where I live. 
and and I embrace the gray and and those sorts of things, not because I'm trying to be all things to all people, but just the opposite, because I'm trying to be true to myself when everybody else would try to drive me to the poles. So uh, to the polarization, um, if so, we're apolitical. It's also a personal trait of mine that I'm very I'm an open book. So I've taken these things that are values uh, of myself. And I have let those inform the values of my company, but that's where it stops. Okay. Then the operational and the aspirational, and I would say the accidental, which is a corrective element, all revolving around in ways that that start to transcend who Joe Woodard is as a person. Because Joe Woodard is a person and Joe Woodard's business are two completely different entities. All that all we can do at this point is have the core inform and anchor what's happening operationally, aspirationally, and accidentally. You do that. You empower people to enfranchise them into your vision, mission, and purpose. Then you're true to your vision, mission, and purpose. And you're going to build such a compelling culture that people will beat a path to your door. That's really great, Joe. And you say that your personal values can be different from the company ones, but there needs to be congruency there if your name is in the brand. Absolutely. Congruent, but not... not um, the, the, my personal values inform the, the operational values of the company. They don't dictate the operational values of the company. And um, and then what happens is we become greater than the sum of our parts. Our operational values begin to reflect the individual values of all the leadership of our company with the congruency that you just mentioned. Joe, just to finish off, we talked in the last episode about what you're doing with Scaling New Heights and the great advisory program with hundreds of hours of content and coaching for accountants. You work with uh, professionals all over the world, do you? We work mostly with firms in the US, uh, but we do have people that participate in our programs from all over the world. What excites you most about what's coming up over the next few years for, for Woodard, for the profession? Where do your eyes light up? Yeah, my eyes light up when it comes to this convergence of technology and advisory. Not since the, the very beginnings of financial record keeping have we ever had the holy grail. The combination of both real-time financial information and accurate financial information at scale. You can be accurate and slow. You can be incorrect and fast. But what the technology has done is it's let us at scale have both. Now that we have this treasure trove, this holy grail, we must drink from it. And in order to drink from it, we must scale the technologies and democratize them through our practices, of course. But we cut, we, we're now in a position to actually do meaningful coaching as a profession. And, and it excites me. Joe, finish with some words directly to the accounting practitioners listening. We have 25,000 of them all, all over the world, predominantly in the US and the UK. Give some words of encouragement or a call to action for them as we come out of COVID pandemic, hopefully, and we're embracing a new era where they have an opportunity to make a difference, but they need to upskill and change the game a little bit. What would you say to them in closing? Yeah, I would say um, that the future is bright if you play the future well. So my, my advice to you is differentiate yourself from your peers. Uh, focus primarily on the outcomes that you generate for your clients, leaning into leaning in some coaching skills, develop those coaching skills. It's really easy. You know what you're doing. You just have to hone that, sharpen that knife, and then lead out with that in both brand and in action. Make it all technology driven and you will carve out a place in the future that is up above the scaled competitors, the sort of the, the big box brands of bookkeeping that are emerging, you're going to be safely up above that. And you're going to start making, this is the most encouraging thing I want to say to the listeners, Rob, is you're going to start earning revenue disproportionately to effort. The profession is exhausted. I am sure your listeners are exhausted. They were exhausted before COVID. <laughs> so if you want to break the pattern of exhaustion, do the kind of work that is high impact with less proportional effort, that's knowledge work. 
And not only will you be future-proof, not only will you have a culture that attracts people, but you'll be work-life harmonized. I promise it's there. It's just an arm's reach away. What a message. Jim Woodard, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. All right. It's always great to be here, Rob. Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Thank you for listening to this new Talent in Accounting podcast. This is a relatively new show, but already has over a thousand listeners. So we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections. If you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent, reach out to me on LinkedIn with a message and we'll follow them up. And as we build this show up, we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent and the accounting finance space is important loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show again drop me a message on linkedin to tee up that conversation and for great podcast content elsewhere make sure you subscribe to our main show accounting influencers goes out every monday and join the forty thousand listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders experts and influencers in the accounting and fintech world finally why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting, finance, and tech professionals. 75 minutes of speed dating, great discussions, raising your personal profile, making new connections. Go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.